Hi everyone, I'm David Green, Managing Partner for the Insight 222 People Analytics Programme. Welcome to the final episode of Series 14 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. The transformation that Stephen Bart is leading as Chief People and Organisation Officer at Novartis in shaping culture and leadership to a reimagined medicine is hugely impressive. Stephen explains in this week's episode of the podcast, Novartis is successfully fueling a scientific and entrepreneurial spirit at the company through its inspired, curious and unbossed culture. This equips the people closest to the customer or product with the freedom to own the important decisions about their work for themselves. Novartis is also empowering their people by reimagining its approach to performance management. As one of the world's foremost science companies, it is entirely fitting that Novartis has taken a scientific approach to diagnosing, developing, trialing and productizing its approach to performance management. In our conversation, Stephen and I discuss how he partners with CEO Vaz Narasimhan and the rest of the executive team at Novartis. We look at the concept of unbossing and what that entails for leaders. And then we dig into how Novartis has diagnosed that their previous performance management culture was a point of friction for employees. We then look at how Novartis has taken a scientific approach to reimagining performance management involving 16,000 people. And then Stephen explains the four elements of the new approach to performance management, encompassing objectives, feedback, recognition, and reward. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in the role of organizational culture and performance. So that's business leaders, chief HR officers, and anyone in a strategy, people analytics, culture, employee experience, or HR business partner role. This series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast is sponsored by Quantum Workplace. Success starts with your people. When employees succeed, your business succeeds. Quantum Workplace equips organizations with the most reliable solutions for employee, team, and business success. Their employee engagement and performance management tools help organizations listen to, understand, and leverage their talent to move business forward. Quantum Workplace's intuitive platform includes employee surveys, goals, recognition, feedback, one-on-one meetings, and robust people intelligence and analytics. Quantum Workplace has partnered with thousands of best places to work on their talent strategies, including Fossil, DSW, Panera, Redfin, Getty Images, BKD, and more. To learn more, visit www.quantumworkplace.com forward slash digital HR. That's www.quantumworkplace.com forward slash digital HR. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Stephen Bart, Chief People and Organisation Officer at Novartis to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Stephen. It's great to have you on. Can can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to to you and your role at Novartis? Sure. Hey, thank you, David. Glad to be here. I'm the, as you said, responsible for people and organisation at Novartis. We're a pharmaceutical company. Originally, I'm from Belgium. I studied law school, but then found my true passion, which is uh, human resources. And I've been 15 years with Novartis now. Great. Well, I know we're going to talk, uh, we're going to get into to, to the shift that you're making around performance management. But, you know, Novartis is currently undergoing a, a large and exciting leadership transformation program. We got a preview of this when we had Simon Brown on the podcast uh, last year. 
can we start with you telling us a bit more about the concept of, of unbossing and, and, and what that means for leaders at Novartis? So we're in the business of what we call reimagining medicine. Um, and I think that's more relevant than ever uh, in terms of the world we live in today. Now, what that means is it is very complex work. You need uh, a collective team with all their experience, all their ideas, all their openness to failure to come together and really contribute uh, to the fullest. And so what we've learned as a company when we analyze our work is that the concept of the leader knowing it all, the leader being the smartest in the room, is actually a concept that is outdated to really successfully innovate and find breakthrough uh, ways of curing the most evil diseases. And so we had to therefore completely rethink how we lead uh, teams. And so I think many companies talk about the concept of empowering. We call it unbossing. There is something provocative in that term, but what it does, it starts a conversation. And so what is really fundamental in this is the belief that the answer to any problem is within the room, uh, is with the broader team, and so that a leader needs to create some clarity in terms of the direction, but really needs to show up as self-aware, vulnerable, and creating the psychological safety for the team to come up with all kinds of ideas, give them permission to, to say things that actually at first doesn't, don't make sense, and then really work together in a creative process to come up with uh, concepts, try it out, allow the team to fail, and the leader is there to support the team. Uh, that, that's the, the, the core idea. And this is something that I've seen, you know, both both from yourself and, and from, from Vaz Narasimhan, yours or CEO, really being advocating about this externally. You know, I think particularly over the last 12 to 15 months, you know, HR people and organization has become even more important within organizations. And I know, you know, CEOs have, have relied very much on, on your peers, Steve, and, and I'm sure that that's the case in Novartis. You know, how important is that relationship with, with the CEO and the executive team in, in your role? I think it's essential. So when Vaz became a CEO, he worked over a period of six months with his executive team after listening externally to various stakeholders, listening to our own people, doing a crowdsourcing event to really define the agenda of what would define success for Novartis in the next decade. And so the first priority he came up with together with the team was unleashing the power of our people. So he had noticed the strength of our human capital, but that for various historic reasons, the reasons we were actually holding them back. And so he, with the team, said, we have so much potential in this organization. What if we kind of unleash that potential? And so there, of course, the role of, of human resources, we call it people and organization. We even rebranded the name of the function as an important symbol. We're kind of the, the masters of ceremony of enabling for that to happen. But I would not be able to make this uh, change if it wasn't for the tremendous ownership, role modeling, support of us, the CEO, and the executive uh, team. So any HR professional listening to this, wanting to embark uh, on this journey, allow yourself to spend a lot of time first aligning with your executive team before you go to your broader organization. Because if your executive team is not 
100% believing in this behind this, it becomes very difficult to make any kind of progress. Yeah, I guess one would question the point of investing all the time and energy and resource into doing it if the executive team's not behind it, because it's such a fundamental change that you've talked about. You know, that, that moving to that unboss culture is a big step, isn't it? It's even, and, and sorry to interrupt there, but it's even... It, it was an interesting concept because too often and including I fell into that trap, we think that others need to change for this to happen. And we experienced leaders are here to help them. I mean, I was looking for the frozen middle and after a few months, I had to come to the conclusion that I was part of the frozen middle, that we can't expect the rest of the organization to make a change unless we change uh, ourselves. And so we, we took months as a leadership team to first work on ourselves, to first really become self-aware, to first confront some of our own fears of failure, uh, our own uh, vulnerabilities. For a long time, I thought that vulnerability was a sign of weakness and that if your team would see vulnerability, that they would kind of see you or consider you as weak. Uh, it's only once you really experiment and, and lean in yourself as a leader that, first of all, amazing things start to happen, but that you also create permission for your team to do the same. And so unless you do the work yourself, you cannot expect your organization, your leaders, your teams to go on that journey with you. It's so important, isn't it? I mean, I think we've seen again in the last 12 to 15 months that, that leaders, both in business, in politics and other areas of life, that leaders that, that show vulnerability, they get that, that link with electorate or with, with, with their workforce effectively. It's so important, isn't it? Because, you know, the last 12 to 15 months in particular with the pandemic, I guess we've all you know, whatever role that we've got within an organization, we're, we're experiencing things that we've not experienced before. And it's okay to say, we don't know. And it makes the discussion so much richer, because I think many of us came to work or to a meeting or to any type of conversation, spending a lot of time and energy trying to hide some of our insecurities, some of our shortcomings, out of fear that somebody else in the room would find out that you're not as smart as you think you are. First of all, you spend 20 to 30% of your capacity just doing that. And then it's an illusion because even good decisions are not purely something uh, that you do from a rational point of view. You need to be in touch with your uh, feelings and, and your uh, concerns. You need to tap into your experience. But once you say, I don't know, you give to the team permission to also say, we're not sure about this. And so I think there are many documented examples of catastrophic failures where there was somebody in the room who knew the, uh, about the problem but didn't feel safe to talk about it. Uh, and so suddenly when you bring that vulnerability in the room, you start to talk about a much broader spectrum to approach this challenge. And it's so much stronger and so much richer in terms of what you can come up with, in terms of ideas or, or a, a way forward. As a leader, you still need to make ultimately decisions. We're not talking about constantly going for consensus, but you really tap into the full potential of, of your uh, team. Yeah, which, which, as you said, is so important in medicine when you're you know, trying to tackle some horrific diseases. So you talked about how the, the, the leadership team themselves said to... To, to actually work through how to, to, to show the vulnerability to, so as you said, not just set the example, but not be the frozen middle. You know, how did you go about shifting the way that you measure leadership performance, for example? 
we're a science-driven uh, company, so we like to have a hypothesis and then measure for either a confirmation or uh, learn something new and, and do a, a course correction. And so in that way, a very similar uh, approach here on this leadership journey. We have a very clear hypothesis what we believe leadership should bring to address very complex problems. And we want to measure that. And not from a pass or fail, but we believe that self-awareness is the foundation to this. And so in order to be self-aware as a leader, the best thing you can do is get a lot of feedback. But feedback, again, in a safe way, not uh, that you fall short of an expectation. You need to do this work in a very caring way. But what we do is when you go on this journey, you get four times a year upward feedback from your uh, team, from your peers, and from your manager. So we uh, have uh, recreated the the traditional 360 tool, but this tool asks for very specific things that are much sharper in terms of supporting our hypothesis. And then you get your data. You share that data with the entire team. You discuss that data with the entire team. And there's something, again, funny about this because when I, I was used to getting pretty good 360s in the past, and now suddenly I get this 360, and there's some strengths in there, but there are also some very clear gaps. And I thought like, oh, man, and now I need to discuss this with my team. And I naively thought they they weren't aware of some of my shortcomings that I was that was able to hide it from them. And they just burst out laughing. I said, seriously, Stephen, you, you never knew that about yourself? So some of the things we don't know about ourselves are very obvious to our team. But you do it in a very kind of caring, loving way, in a very supportive way. And it becomes also the fact that you go through this all together. Vaz goes through this. My colleagues on, on the team go through it. My direct reports go through it. There is no embarrassment to it. It's kind of a very supportive community of, hey, we're growing together. I'm working on this. Can you, can you be a peer buddy to me? And so then three months later, you take the survey again and you start to see that that one big thing you've been working on is actually starting to pay off uh, and you're getting better at it. And, and that's how it works. Perfect. It sounds so, so really good. Again, you, again, nice link to vulnerability because, you know, as a leader, actually being open to feedback on areas where you, you can improve as a, because we can all improve in different areas. It doesn't matter how effective you are, you know. So, that, that links in quite nicely then to, to, to what you've been doing around the performance management culture in Novartis as well, more broadly. And you've been going through a pretty radical transformation there too. You know, before we dive into the detail, I'm sure our listeners will be really interested to know, firstly, how you discovered that the previous performance management culture was a point of friction for employees. And secondly, how you approached developing a new approach. Sure. It's a very relevant question because I think there's a lot of discussion about performance management these days. It's a word that we use loosely, but you need to be very clear uh, why you want to, to make a change and what it is you're, you're trying to, to achieve. So what's the problem you're trying to solve for? So when we uh, embarked on our culture change, we did a crowdsourcing uh, event with uh, our associates. And so through the uh, idea generation and then the voting, performance management came up uh, the number one uh, request uh, for change. It's then very tempting, and it was very tempting for us to take quick action, say, people don't like performance ratings, let's get rid of performance ratings and kind of score a big hit. But that is only dealing 
with the superficial symptom. You, again, we first had to really understand, so what is the problem and what would be an alternative? Because typically associates don't like the performance management system. Managers don't like it. HR doesn't like it. But what's the alternative? And that's where many companies have struggled. So we first had to define what are we trying to achieve in support of the culture we're trying to create and how will we know that we're successful at it. And that was, uh, again, a lengthy process. Uh, it, it took us uh, several months to, to figure that out, several months to define it. And then because it's such a big step, and we had also studied the experts and the experiences from other companies, we, we knew that this was a difficult project to take on. So we embarked on an experiment where we tested various hypotheses with 16,000 associates. And we started again to measure through active and passive data. We would survey them how they feel. We would ask them specific questions. We would also be able to compare the two groups in our quarterly uh, engagement survey on a broader range of questions to see how one group was feeling and behaving versus uh, the other group. So classic, classic A-B testing. Yeah. So using science, scientific company using science to, 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 to help get to the answer. Very important at Novartis. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so obviously you, that, that helps you draw in a lot of insights from, from that, that trial. And, you know, let's look at the new approach to performance management in a bit more detail. I think that there, I thought you published a great article on, on LinkedIn at the start of March, and we will provide a link Thank to you. that article with the podcast. Can you talk us through the four elements of the model and the, and the intention behind each? Yeah. So at the surface, people were telling us they don't like uh, the ratings. Once we peeled that back, there were kind of four things we had to address. People were not inspired by the objectives. Uh, the objectives were one often top-down and had the illusion that great work starts on January 1st of a calendar year and finishes towards the end of the year, uh, where in reality innovation cycles or any type of work runs through very different cycles. The second thing was that people were actually not getting good quality feedback and coaching. And so often a rating became the only type of feedback that somebody would get from their manager. Um, and they would get that feedback at a time that there was actually a discussion about bonus going on. So there was even kind of a wrong incentive at that moment to give genuine constructive feedback and coaching. And then there was an entire topic around recognition and rewards. And those are even two distinct uh, uh, things. Uh, people would sometimes say, I understand that there is a budget, so I'm okay to take a lower bonus, but I still want the top rating because I feel I've done a great job uh, this year. So they were basically saying, I don't feel recognized. And then, of course, there is the, the reward system. And so uh, we still believe in pay for extraordinary performance. And so the concept of everybody getting the same pay when they have delivered a different quality of work 
did not work for us. So it's those four elements, objectives, feedback and coaching, recognition, and uh, rewards we had to tackle. So what, what are some of the things that you've done in each of those, in each sure. of those areas? So, so first, we, we apply the idea of unbossing to objectives. When people are inspired by a purpose, people are best placed to come up with suggestions of what they think they should be working on to achieve goals uh, or to make progress towards a science. And so we, we have created uh, a process where we have rolling objectives, where people will create big, bold objectives for themselves. Some of them will be on a time frame of six weeks because some things are just urgent and they say, if, you, if I could just spend a few weeks working on this, we could crack uh, this issue. And others will go over three years. And then, of course, we still believe that the strength of the team is bigger than the sum of the individual. So there is then also a team ceremony where you uh, exchange and also set common big bold objectives for the team. So in the beginning, that feels actually a little heavier. And that's also the, the initial feedback we got where people saying like, man, this is a lot of work because you really need to think through what you will be working on and you need to discuss with your colleagues so if I'm working on this and you're working on that, how will that work together? So, so that's these big, bold objectives and then how they break down in your own uh, set of uh, uh, priorities. The second thing is the entire concept of uh, feedback and coaching, where we discovered that this is uh, two things. First of all, it's a skill. You need to learn to give uh, feedback. You need to learn to bunk become a better coach and so we're just spending so we developed tools we created partnerships uh, through some agile teams and then we really are training all of our people managers on how to be a good coach and how to provide feedback and that's a significant investment at the same time there is also again that self-awareness uh, the belief that people hold, including myself for a long time, that when you give direct feedback to somebody, that he or she will be disappointed, that it will damage the relation. So we both know that we should be doing this, but why aren't we doing it? We're all bright people. So we also, through our unbossed leadership experience, go deeper into some of those barriers, those beliefs that you will hurt people, people's feelings when you give them feedback. And so working on that uh, concept that you can be caring whilst holding, pe holding people uh, accountable, that these are not contradictory. Then when you look at the recognition there, we have created uh, a Spark platform where people can give real-time recognition uh, to each other, not just up and down, but also lateral theme recognition. That can be in the, in the form of a funny card. That can be in the in the form of a nice comment that you uh, send that can also be in a monetary uh, spot award through points that you assign to towards each other and so we we funded that system also that there is uh, that there are points available for people to recognize each other and we've seen that the uptake has been tremendous and you can even see a kind of a social network of how people recognize each other throughout the broader universe of, of Navarta. So it's not just people working shoulder to shoulder that keep on recognizing each other. 
And then probably the hardest was how do you still keep a pay for uh, performance type of culture? How do you make sure that at the end of the year, people still think, hey, this, this makes sense? And we, we've discovered that two things really matter, transparency and fairness. It's actually less about the quantum. It's about I have worked really, really hard and that other person basically took it easy this year and we both get the same bonus that doesn't feel right so so it's that fairness and that transparency we had to solve for so we've gone with impact we reward for impact uh, and impact is both what one has achieved and how you have achieved it so it's also how you operate in the organization and that becomes peer and a team discussion where we say well take the the difficult year of 2020 Who's really had or which team really had an impact here? Who's made the difference? And the team will discuss that and say, well, in this case, it was really the the clinical trials team. They had to make sure our clinical trials stayed on track, but there were no more in uh, patient visits. Hospitals were closed. And look, they've come up with a a revolutionary concept of remote uh, monitoring. This This has really made a tremendous impact for patients and for the company. So this is a team that had a disproportionate impact. And that's where you put a multiplier on these people's bonus, where the rest gets the default. The default being uh, one uh, bonus pool for the company. The company does well, everybody gets a good bonus. The company doesn't do well, everybody takes. So we've also done away with the sub pools where you had internal competition. You have one pool for the entire company. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. and. And again, this is this is a big change, as you as you highlighted at the start, you know, both in kind of culture behaviors and and then actually, you know, testing what what it is that that that, that you needed to build the new, the new performance management system on. But I guess it's still in some respects early days. So, I mean, how far along are you in rolling out the new approach? And, you know, what are some of the outcomes or, or impacts that you're seeing so far? Sure. Yeah, it it is. Uh, it's a very good point you raised because our biggest temptation was to go faster because you have this crowdsourcing. People want this and you say we can score a big hit by doing this. And so I would really caution people, don't rush into this. Really understand uh, the issues, really uh, try out your uh, solutions and make sure those are solutions that are fit for purpose for what you're trying to achieve as a company and the culture you're trying to create. We are with our pilot group, uh, the 16,000 people, we stayed the course. So there we now have two and a half years of data. The total company, we went live at the beginning of uh, this year. So we, we, of course, had to take this also to our remuneration committee and, and convince the board. They were very supportive, also because of the data we could show. When we asked the 16,000 people, there's definitely still things we can do better. But 96% of the population said, we don't want to ever go back to the old system. We prefer this new system. That by itself is, is already, I think, very convincing by itself. We have seen examples of these teams being more empowered during the pandemic and coming up with uh, solutions for uh, complex uh, problems. Those are just anecdotal examples. 
but still this encourages us. And then across all the data and all the measurements uh, we did, we saw a significant improvement in how people perceive receiving feedback, how people feel about the objectives uh, that they're working on, how they are inspired by their work. And so all of this, that gave us the confidence and the data to, to go to our board and say, we're going to do this. With the broader organization, so the 110,000 people, we do this in a very customer-centric way. We, we don't want to talk about here is the old process gone and here is the new process. We go piecemeal. So we, we, uh, we started first with, hey, let's talk about uh, how you can come up with your own objectives for what you think you want to be working on. That was the first part of the year. But a lot of Again, checking in, listening, some teams saying, hey, this feels heavy. The, the, there was too much emphasis on make sure you document these. So some teams felt that the administrative part was still too heavy. So we had to course correct there a bit. Now we're going into feedback and coaching. So we want this part of the year to really uh, double down on feedback and coaching. And towards the, the, the last part of the year, we will start to talk about these impact. And it, it will take again, time, several years to replace a system that was carefully crafted and implemented for 25 years. So my, my other insight is don't be too harsh on yourself. Don't believe that in three months you can replace 25 years of history with an old system. This will take time to become part of the DNA uh, of your organization. And it will take time before people really believe and trust that this is different and that they have permission to to work differently. And and as you said, you've got to help people along the way through training, coaching, and then using, you know, as you said, active and passive data to understand how people are feeling and course correct as, as, as you need to do that. It's kind of a, a you, what's really resonated with me through the conversation, Stephen, is you talked about data a lot, you know, and I know it's, it's kind of my passion, I must admit, you know, people yeah. analytic. And I know from, you know, Ashish kindly um, provided a case study for, for the book, Jonathan and I have got a cup coming out in July. And I, again, I know that, that there is that culture that you've got both within the wider organization about using data, but also within, within, within people and organization as well. You know, as a, as a chief people and organization officer, how does data help you, certainly in understanding what's going on in the business, but also with your conversation with, with Vaz and the, and the executive team as well. I, I now uh, jokingly refer to it that HR is evolving from being king whisperers to data kings. There was a time that the power of any HR professional was that special relation they had with their client and where often behind closed doors they would say, I've heard in the, conver uh, in the cafeteria and so you, you pick up a conversation in the elevator or in the cafeteria and you project that in the people are unhappy. Maybe the people in Switzerland at that moment might have been unhappy, but that doesn't mean that the entire organization. But too often we went on the basis of our connectivity, proximity to people to say, here is how the organization thinks or feels about this. So it was important to, to get a more data-driven approach. It was important to dispel some of the myths and beliefs, take something different. But for a long time, people thought that working from home would lead to lower productivity, that people on Mondays and Fridays wouldn't be really working. Well, 
I think we've all learned that that discussion of productivity is out of the door. If anything, we're all concerned that people are working more uh, these days when they work from home. But you only know that when you have uh, data. And so we had to build active quality and quantitative uh, data. So we had to first survey our people and ask them actively a question. And then we had to look at metadata. At the same time, I would again uh, say use this ever to gather individual data. So the data privacy, the, the, the contract of trust with your associates is paramount. And if one oversteps that line, you 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 well, you basically rightfully so lose the trust of your associates. So we only use metadata. We don't use uh, individual data. It's so important. And again, it's another. You talked about the change, changing your, how you approach performance management is a massive change. As you said, it's multi-year. It's not something you can just turn on the tap in three months. And I guess it's the same with creating that data culture within HR as well, within people and organization as well. And I know that's something that you're doing in parallel. You're developing the the, the people analytics capability, but you're also helping your P&O professionals acquire the skills that they need to actually take that into effect with 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 the client with their with their clients within the organization. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think first of all, you need to uh, build the systems, but you also need to hire behavioral scientists, data scientists. So it's a different uh, capability. Then you need, on average, seven data sets to have any reliable type of trend. You, you can't go just on one. Uh, uh, moment in time and say, "Oops, looks what look what's happening." You 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 need, and then you need to retrain your uh, HR business partners uh, and generalists on on how to use this data and and how to access this data. You need to establish the trust in within the organization that you're actually listening, that you are using the data to learn and not to spy. And then you also uh, need to go to your business uh, leaders with your data from a perspective that this data is relevant for them. We were joking that it's not because everybody says, I want a pony, that you now will start to buy ponies for you. It, it needs to be relevant to where your business is going. So it is, it is, a, it is a journey. It is uh, complex and it is worth uh, pursuing it. Perfect. Well, some great insights there, Stephen. Unfortunately, we've come to the, the final question. This is one we're asking everyone in this series, and it probably allows you to maybe summarize some of the, 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 the things that we've spoken about over the last 40 minutes or so. So many companies have done away, as we've talked about, with their annual performance cycle over the last few years. But we, we haven't seen that new consistent model replace it as quickly as everyone expected. And you talked to that earlier. How do you think companies should approach uh, performance management in the future? I think you really need to focus on direction or your destination, rather, what are you walking away from? It is very clear that people are uh, dissatisfied with the old uh, model. But unless you're clear on your new direction, you will be uh, lost and possibly going around in circles. That direction should be completely aligned with the environment and the culture you're trying to create for your company. I would take enough time to have those discussions with your leadership teams of what is it that we want to see and experience when we walk around in this organization two to three years from now. Then I would build those hypotheses and I would test. I would be try to be very clear 
therefore, on what it is you're trying to, to address. Uh, not just do away with performance management, but what are you trying to build for? And now uh, start to test it. And then listen, learn, make it a constant feedback loop because you're, again, you're replacing 20 to 30 years of history. Don't expect that you will fix this in three months. Listen to your associates, improve, fine-tune, learn, and spend the training and the resources behind it to make it happen. And then it's worth it because I think you will unlock so much energy and passion in your organization that you will find solutions for the most complicated issues that you're dealing with. That's a great summary, Stephen. And, and maybe from, from the work today, is it what surprised you the most from the, the, the journey that you've been on? And maybe what surprised you most from the, the pilot with, with the 16,000 associates that, that, that you did? Well, many things. But I would say in, in, in the first place, the true power and potential of bringing a team together. Uh, and again, we've seen it in, in the pandemic and all that. But once people believe in something and they put their energy behind it, it's amazing what an organization can achieve. And it's actually amazing how fast uh, they can then move. Because once they, they really feel empowered uh, and inspired, and, and once you take away that fear and replace it with curiosity, it's amazing what starts to happen uh, in an organization. Personally, going on this journey was initially difficult because you need to reopen some doors that you have carefully closed over the years. But I felt that I was living in two rooms of a castle and it is so rewarding as a leader to go on that journey because suddenly you can reopen all those doors. And after you initially accept some of the stories you've told yourself, you will become a happier, a more uh, inspirational uh, and a more impactful uh, version of yourself. And so I would recommend it to, to, to anybody. Stephen, that's fantastic. Thanks for being a guest on, on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. How can listeners stay in touch with you and, and follow you on social media, maybe find out more about Novartis? Well, I'm a, a big fan of LinkedIn. I learn a lot from what colleagues are publishing and sharing. Uh, I like to share our journey in the most vulnerable way. I will share what works and what doesn't work. Uh, so follow me on, on LinkedIn is, is what I would say. Stephen, thank you very much. Uh, and we'll post some links to some of the articles that, that Stephen has published over the last year or so uh, as well. Hey, thank you so much, David. All the best. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode, and indeed this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. A huge thank you to all our guests on this series, David Rock, Joe Len Anderson, Greg Harris, Melissa Corwin, and Stephen Bart, and our sponsor, Quantum Workplace. We'll be back next week with Series 15. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.